So we are very excited today at this episode of Retailistic to really do a deep dive into live streaming where I feel like there's a lot of fallacy and we want to get to the facts. I'm joined today by my co-host for Retailistic, Andrew Smith. Say hello, Andrew. G'day, everyone. I am so excited for this episode. My My relationship with live streaming has been so complicated and I'm hoping today it settles it and I have all the answers. Hey, just by the way, I saw Andrew do his first live stream and he was fantastic, but oh, uh, let's kick things off. We're very excited to hear today from Vincent Yang, co-founder and CEO at Firework. Andrew, I know you had the distinct, unique opportunity to, you know, kind of basically cast at Rice. Talk about your experience and and what what was different than what you expected? What was exciting as you now have, you know, millions of fans who are who are watching your every move? <laughs> Look, I, I, there's some really important context, which is, Deborah, you and I recorded an episode of our podcast at Rice. Uh, and then as soon as we finished, you said, oh, I've got to bring you to the live streaming <laughs> booth, Andrew. And I went, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> no, had no clue that's what I was about to do. Deborah, you know, basically grabbed me by the arm and dragged me to this live streaming booth with uh, with your team, Vinton and Firework. And I had my first live streaming experience and it was incredible. I, I sat there without any context. I was just holding the mic up, talking to Drew, who was a fantastic host. And um, I just, I spoke for, I don't know, I think it was 27 minutes or something similar. And uh, I was, I basically thought I'm talking to millions of people. I'm so nervous. How do I look? How do I sound? Am I being charming? I have no idea what the audience <laughs> numbers were, Vincent. In the end, you'll have to tell me that later. But uh, I had a blast. It was, it, it was so interesting. And just to look at the setup, it reminded me that there are so many great easy ways to get into live streaming right now that like why why people aren't just leaning into experimenting with it really genuinely surprised me it was such a simple setup for such a powerful medium but i had a blast it was great well and and vince and i talked yesterday we were saying right you know you you have this this idea that you know live streaming is either very complicated or very expensive but you know firework has really kind of looked at the the whole gamut and i know vince you guys just raised around. I'm sure some of it is to continue to to work with, you know, kind of, you know, retailers and brands big and small. Maybe you can talk about the round that you just raised, but then also just the product offering and and how that differs uh, for, you know, the kids that just raised like the seed round to to those that have been doing this 100 years. Yes. Yes. Thank you, Deborah. So, yeah. So, we uh, <clears throat> we just announced uh, Fire raised $150 million and led by SoftBank Vision Fund, one of the world's largest funds, and also followed by uh, our existing shareholder like American Express. They keep doubling down on fireworks. So, um, with, with this round, so we already hit close to a valuation for 750 close to a unicorns. And then... Um, and you mentioned about the sector. So um, what, what we do is very different. We are now the world's largest uh, B2B version. A lot of people say, you know, Fiverr is the B2B version for TikTok, which is empowering every single retailer and brands to be able to do short videos and a live stream directly on their sites, inside of their emails, on their entire all-major channels. That's what we do. So, yeah, I think this, this sector, Deborah, you know this, is very noisy, very crowded, right? So... Um, I, I think it was very, very good and someone can finally kind of break out of noise to put a mark on it down to, to say, you know what, they, um, there's some potential winner coming out. So, um, yeah, I hope, you know, we can be the ones, but definitely with this fundings, without teams of over 300 people, I think we're very well positioned to kind of win the game. Well, I think, Andrew, you and I have talked a lot about, right, retailers owning their own destiny and, right, kind of more 1P versus 3P. And I think the power to have, you know, not only, of course, during the live cast, but but afterwards, you know, to have that still sit on your website, right? So, Andrew, as you and I are doing our research and we can, like, look online, we can go offline, right? But, but this idea that it's all with the retailer, right, it certainly helps you and I understand them better and also, right, aggregate our spend. Absolutely. And firstly, Vincent, congratulations to you and the team. It, like, it's an incredible okay. achievement and a, and a reflection of the hard work that you and the team have put into the, the platform itself, itself. And as I said, it's so beautifully simple. It's just designed to make it easy for you to lean in. And I love that about that because like for a retail perspective, it is new, it is scary. And like, so you know, making it as easy as possible for retailers to, to play around with it in the sandbox, I think is fantastic. But yeah, like I think the but consumers want 
more first party kind of relationships, that first person relationships with a brand. Like consumers are, um, you know, we've we've all seen the shift from, you know, the way we calculate value being just price proximity into this thing of social value and brand personality value. And do I want to feel, I want to feel good about giving my money and do I feel good about giving my money to a certain brand? And I think like, you know, you just look at the stats alone um, around live streaming, it is just so incredibly engaging. And like people are, you know, building incredible connections with brands through this platform. And, you know, Vincent, you talked about both the live streaming, and I'd love to hear from you on this. You've spoken about kind of the live stream element and then it's then available on demand afterwards. Like we've seen some stats that are coming out that kind of talks about how much more, you know, attention you get, how much more buy power you get through the live stream versus an on-demand video. But then again, having, you know, doing it once, but then having both available to you is an incredibly powerful asset. How are you seeing brands using it? Like the the kind of live stream versus then on-demand viewership and what's more successful? What's the good, what's the right blend? You know, what are you seeing with the brands you work with? Yeah. So, Andrew, so what we are seeing is about a mix of both. So um, one of the the, the the misleading concept people think about live stream is it's live and it disappear after life right which the reality is, is it doesn't need to be disappearing because it's not on social media that you know after 24 hours disappear or the social media doesn't promote this after 24 hours but when the brand is using it on their own website they can put it out forever most of our brands actually when they finish a live stream they put it out for another 30 days or some of them put on for 90 days when their product life cycle is a little bit longer what we have seen is those live streams continue to generate about 70 to 80% of the revenue after the live is over. Right? This is minimizing what our brands has been doing. And another thing a lot of people do is short videos, which is those 30-second, 60-second short videos they record and can also put in a website for a long time. Short video is easier to do. So what I see a lot of our clients are using both weapons, I think, as a very good mix. Right. On a weekly basis, they will create a lot of short videos uploaded by their sales associates, by their ambassadors, right? Or sometimes actually by their dear users and customers. Right. And every week or once every two to three weeks, they will do a live shopping event, right? To actually promote certain products, et cetera. They're combining both all together in a very good mix. So so Vincent, I want to jump into because you know, at Coresight, we advise a lot of the retailers on their live streaming strategy having spent a lot of time doing this in China for Western brands and, and for domestic brands. You know, I, I do think I, I, I want to kind of take Andrew's thread, right? You know, this can be scary. You know, there's there's a lot of expectations. So number one, how do you find that retailers are measuring like the success? And because we're, we're not necessarily seeing, right, this kind of regularity of every day or even every week, that, you know, that's one of the things that concerns me because I, I, you know, I, I very much passionately care about this industry like you do. And if everyone's measuring themselves on sales, yet they're not kind of actively engaged enough, they're not going to reach kind of what they need to. And so let's let's put a pin in that and, and kind of jump on that. Yeah, I was, Deborah, it's a great you asked the question. Literally 10 minutes ago, I was talking to the president of a $10 billion GMV retailer. Just, he asked me the same questions, right? So here's what what they should all focus on. Number one is conversion and sales, but it's just one element for it, right? Life change value has way more than just this one. But, but you know, suffice to say, this is the very important piece. Now let's talk about the number two. Number two is offer discoverabilities for more and more products. We all know in the US, most of the retailers have, no matter how, whether you have 100,000 um, SKUs or millions, most of your shoppers is only discovering maybe five of them. They spend really little time on a website, right? Average mobile visit website time is less than one minute. Desktop is two minutes, right? No matter how many products you have, they're not going to discover that. But now let me give another data point. In Alibaba, right, Taobao live streams, average users spend about 45 minutes in a row, right? When you spend wow. 45 minutes, you'll be able to discover hundreds to thousands of SKU and products. So the discoverability is a huge thing. So this is something that people never think about, but it's offered tons of value is how do we help a retailer to showcase more of their product into this live stream experience? And people ask me why, why, why this experience can have, you know, most of the discoverability. Why user want to spend more time? I'm like, well, that's easy. Just look at what your children are doing, right? What are they doing? What are they spending two hours every day doing? They are watching live stream or swiping TikToks. 
th- this is their default user behaviors. It's just the retailers, right? Most of the website experience still was relatively designed 10 years ago. What they didn't realize, the new age millennium Gen Z, their consumer behavior has fundamentally shifted. Consumers are demanding that retailers got to make a change. If they don't make a change, that's what the happen. They're not spending too much time on a website anymore, right? They're, so that's the second thing. The third thing, right? The first is conversion. The second thing is discover and watch times, right? And the third, you know, very interesting is actually um, basket size. Right? So basket size is very interesting, again, because when you do a live stream, you don't show one product. You show 20 product and average. That's kind of the average Chinese way of doing that. Right? You actually buy a lot more product at the same time. We are seeing our average customer increase the order value or the basket size by 300%. Right? People tend to buy a lot more because it's one entire show selling a few products. That's the third thing, increase the basket size. And the final thing is actually increase the retention, increase, reduce the return rate, increase the repeat purchases. Those are the things you will be able to measure in a live journey. Live stream should not be used as a point solution. It should be leverage as a media format across your user's entire buyer journey, right? I talk to so many brands, whether retail or D2C, it's actually very simple for the entire e-commerce business. It's LTV to cap. People just don't focus too much about it. LTV means lifetime use, lifetime value, lifetime, right? A customer doesn't purchase once, right? So that's why we fire spend a lot of time. How do we get people back? How do we get people to repeat purchases? How do we even bring live stream into emails so you can get people back to engage with them offsite beyond just the website? So there are many, many things that you know we can help on, but it's helping on the overall user shoppers lifecycle journeys. I could pick your brain for hours, Vincent, but I have a couple of follow-up questions if I can. Um, I, I, years ago, well, I shouldn't say years ago because there are some brands who are still having the debate, I suppose. But like when the whole, you know, omni-channel conversation was happening around, you know, like what can stores do versus what is the internet good at? Kind of the 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 general opinion was the internet sucks at discovery. Like it's really good if you're mission focused, but it's really terrible at discovery. So question number one for you is like, does that mean like does live streaming kind of fill that gap and enable, you know, that skill set in internet where we haven't seen it before or digital is probably a better word there. And then the second part of my question is, you know, you mentioned life cycle. I think that's super fascinating. Are people using live streaming outside of product discovery, i.e. service, help, support, learning more about a product I maybe have bought? And like, what are the other use cases outside of sales? Yes. So there are, you know, maybe I'll touch the second first. There are many, many use cases people using us for. And even our client base, what I'm observing is actually starting to go beyond just even retailers. We're starting to have people using us from healthcare perspective, from financial services, from B2Bs. More and more people using it, it, even commercial banks starting to adopt fireworks. What they're using us for is for customer service, right? Every bank, every service company, they all talk about, oh, we care about the user. We care about human connection. But where's the humans on a website? There's no human beings on a website. Isn't it? They're just a phone number, right? Now using live stream or short videos, right? they're actually able to bring a real human face in front of it. And welcome to visitors. They say, hey, welcome everybody. This is so-and-so banks, right? What, what brings you here, right? Let me introduce our services here. Just adding the human connection will increase in a massive way about the emotional connection. When people are emotional connected with a website, every metrics improve. So that's actually something that's, you know, what I find is, is very interesting. Live streams have way more use cases that just people didn't realize earlier. So Vincent, one of the challenges I think that, you know, I, I think we've kind of, walked around it is ultimately who owns the live stream and how do they, you know, kind of, right, because if it's marketing, how do they get merchandising on board, especially if there's any kind of, you know, a limited time promotion or any kind of giveaways or anything like that, how how do all of the kind of internal, you know, yeah. constituents work together? Yes, yeah, no. Yeah, that's a very good question. It's um, it's um, it, it depends. So if, if the company was more direct to consumer, what we find is about we um the the other side mostly is the uh, CEO directly. Right? They really care about the whole user. I think every single CEO cares about the consumer. When they care, they are the one that driving everything. And when the CEO is driving that, every team works together: e-commerce team, content team, uh, website development team, etc. 
When it comes to the much bigger enterprise companies, things tend to be a little bit more siloed, right? What, what I find is the people that usually drive this experience is the marketing team or the digital team, the chief digital officer, the digital experience, right? They are the team that are in charge of the digital experience for the teams. They sometimes also bring e-commerce team who are in charge of the um, conversion. It's it, But the good part is I, I wish the big company, they can operate less as a silo, but many times they do, right? But we do need, we do need what I call the organization adoption from the e-commerce teams, from the digital experience marketing teams, and also the content team. Content team is a very new team, right? Most of the retail doesn't have content team. They have some small social media team, but the trend is more and more retailers are starting to hire people that can do content. They know how it's important, right? So we got to get this team involved as well. So these are the three teams, econ, digital experience, slash marketing, and content. Well, and we're going to push back on that, though, because some of the challenges we face on the core side side is that around the product, right? Because whether it's their own brand or whether it's a national brand, I mean, oftentimes, at least from our, a China experience, right, it's, it's limited time, limited quantity, limited offer. You're bundling it in a special way, right? You know, if you buy three together, it's 50. If you buy them individually, it's 75, right? And so the, since the merchandising team we're finding is being brought in, I personally think too late, oh, that a lot of this isn't, it, it's, it's been, and, and this is more, I would say, these kind of like multi-brand, you know, phys, you know, physical first retailers, but who still have the majority of kind of, you know, sales right now, we're, we're still seeing that as a challenge. And so going back, I, I love this idea though around like the content team. Because ultimately, if they own that and they understand that and they can start to also message it internally, it seems like a huge opportunity for them to start to, I think, you know, bridge some of these these gaps. Mm. Yes, yes. The content, the, yeah, you're right, merchant team, if the supply chain can be an issue, I notice a few uh, retailers, right? They're, the supply chain is the biggest bottleneck, right? But if the supply chain is not a bottleneck and merchants can be brand easier, and then, you know, I, I personally find the content team, the, and also many company is the uh, client services teams, right? Some very, very big traditional physical store driven. They don't call their people as employee. They call them sales associate or they call them, you know, ambassadors. So the people leading that team, what I find sometimes are the most excited because it's it's same thing. What they want to bring the same client services and shopping experience offline to online. They're dying to bring that experience online. Just in the past, they can never do that because website is just images. There's no human touch. Now, when they saw what we can do, they're the one that what I find sometimes the most excited. And um, following up on that too, because I agree with Deborah, like the idea of being able to bring in merchant and product teams, I think it'd be really interesting. And you know, as long as we're always const- constantly you know bringing it back to the customer, but. For me, like what we do at Uncommon is like we look at how, you know, in- enablers like yours to an innovation such as I want to engage with consumers in a new way online needs some actual process changes internally. So, to act- so it survives rather than it be like a once off, we've leaned in, we've hired an influencer, we've done a few videos and then all of a sudden it's no one's accountability. There's no actual process behind it. What do you see? Re- how do you see retailers changing the way they work outside of just kind of making it someone's accountability? What else has to change in a retailer to make live streaming more successful? Yeah, I think they do make some organization changes or some routine changes. One of our clients in Japan have a thousand stores. Now what they're doing is every Friday after the uh, office hours, when the stores close, they actually starting to do live streams. Right. Oh, I love that. To live stream. And then they do every week across all of their stores and done by their office manager. They make that as a routine now. So right. they change a little bit of structures, but very soon people getting used to it. Now also they give the accountability to the store manager, right? Because in the past, the store manager is only in charge of physical store sales. Now the store manager is also in charge of the live streams. Because right? they're not hiring influencers at all. This is something I'm sure Deborah and I talk all the time is the answer is not outside, it's inside. People are like, I'm going to hire influencer and a brand investor. I'm like, you already have your brand investor. It's all of the people on your ground selling. They are the best brand investor. No one else. Don't look elsewhere. It's them. But people are like, oh, but they're not good at camera. I don't know how to do that. It's like, those are the things. It's all fixable. We can all help you there. 
But they, they all need to understand that their biggest investor is their own employee. Oh, hear, hear, hear to that point. Like how many people on the front line are studying film at university or theater or whatever, you know, who are working in your stores who are going to be incredible on camera. I think that's a really, really smart kind of like operational nudge. So easy to do, yet it can make it a consistent habit and then engage with consumers. I'm doing a piece of work with a client right now around engagement and like what actually changes people's mind. And it's amazing how- you know, what was a year ago, it's all about influencers to now kind of like, oh, influencers are helpful in kind of getting me to know where to look, but I don't trust them anymore because I know they're getting paid. So, this trust has shifted dramatically. So, so Andrew, you're exactly right, right? Even though I think there's only a handful of people pounding the table to retail use their sales staff, right? One is um, Deborah, one is myself. People are like, why, why, why? They don't, they don't, right? They don't major in um, film, et cetera. There's one keyword why it's authenticity. Millennium Gen Z, they really push for authenticity. If they see this is a commercial, if you hire someone that's not truly right, an influencer or a celebrity, they're like, this is fake. This is a commercial. They want to block out ads as much as they can, right? They want to be genuinely authentically influenced. They just want it. They don't want it, you know, a fake stuff, right? So it's not like our parents' generation, whatever is on TV, it's real, it's trustworthy. To the to millennial gen Z, it's the exact opposite. So sometimes it's actually very good to have a story also with zero filming background, right? Just talk the same way how this person was faced a customer offline. What we find is about, what we even compare, because we did so many live shows, when we compare the two, the one with the highest authenticities is showcasing a five to 10 times higher conversion rate versus oh, wow. people just hire some actors or actress who fake it. So, Love Well, that. I think the consumer can feel that. I mean, I, you know, Vince, I know this is something you and I both feel very passionately about, but not only do you professionalize your sales associate, right? And you give them a, a different career path and different earnings power. But your, you know, your customers can feel, I mean, we've definitely been involved in streams and, and you know, KOLs and influencers and all that, that's, that's great, but it's expensive. And I think you start to lose the brand essence that is so important about one of the reasons that the consumer's tuning in, right? They want to better understand your brand and your products. Who better to talk about that than somebody who's in your stores or, you know, selling virtually every day? Exactly. It's it's so true to like that authenticity thing. Like, it doesn't matter how. It's I feel de- deeply ashamed that this is so surprising to me that this is the answer. Like, <laughs> it's you know I, I've learned plenty of times I should shut up and listen to you more often, Deborah. But this is a great one I think because like that authenticity piece of what store store teams bring. I'm a huge I scream to the hilltops about people you you know completely brands un- completely underutilize their frontline teams. They are brilliant at engaging and selling your brand, as long as you've got a great culture, of course. They're uh, incredibly engaged and they're incredibly authentic and they know all the stupid stuff you do and they know all the great stuff that you do. And kind of being able to take that great stuff and put it in front of a camera, it's like all of a sudden, like if I'm a retailer who's scared of of live streaming, I've now just worked out the answer. I need a hundred bucks worth of equipment and one store every Friday night and firework and I'm done. That's, I mean, that's, ex- that's why I like, I mean, I, I say literally it's as simple as getting like a $5 ring light on your phone and, and that's all you need. And you can be anywhere, right? I mean, we certainly saw during, you know, kind of the lockdown people streaming from, you know, every, every part of their homes, apartments, backyards, et cetera. And so I, I think that, you know, this idea that you're also being invited in to get to know the, you know, this, this person who you trust. And I mean, I've had conversations, at, I mean, which, you know, are, are uh, near near the edge of lunacy where you had customers who had to buy, I talked to a customer who had to buy a shed because there was one live streamer, who, it was a, Vincent, something you and I have talked about a lot is like these D2C brands. And this customer became so enamored with this, you know, kind of sole proprietor, this entrepreneur that she was on her live streams every week and just like loved to be there. And, and this, you know, kind of this entrepreneur made her feel so great and this, I think, is is to me, this is in in some ways, you know, the what hasn't been kind of the surface that hasn't been scratched yet because there has been this feeling it's it's too expensive, it's too cumbersome, it's too this, it's too that. But for a lot of these, even like sole proprietors, D to Cs, you know, these DNVBs, digitally native brands, this is right. This is their time, and and to tell people about who you are, like why are you doing this? Why did you start this product? 
what is it? I mean, there's, you know, Vince and I talked about Retailers United where we, you know, support, you know, these earlier stage brands. And one of the companies sells these like organic gummy bears. And so she had participated in 1010 with us, which, you know, Vincent and I can batter about here. And she was like, this is amazing. And she, you know, she brought her daughter in, right? They talked about founding the company. And I mean, I could have watched that all day because I was really interested. And then of course, right, you transact and buy the product because you know you want to support them. I, I think it really changes the relationship in the short term and the long term between buyer and seller. And I, I know Vincent, you and I've just talked about this last night. Where where do you think we are? What do you think is holding people back? And and what does the future look like for for these kinds of companies? Yeah, I think the digital native brands, the D2C brands, they are right now they're having a little bit issues, troubles. And uh, the most trouble is not because of the live chain, et cetera, it's the rise in acquisition costs by Facebook and Snap and all the other. We already see the share price drop in iOS, the privacy change, it's harder and harder to acquire user cheaply now. So that's why more and more digital native brands, they're having a really tough time to be even profitable, right? Because the entire D2C is just a math game of LTV to CAC. Now the cost of acquisition is extremely expensive now, right? So this is the problem they're facing. But I think we have a solution for that. So here's the solution, right? As a lot of people, again, think about life change just increased the top line of sales. No, life change increased the entire health level of the business. We have a D2C brand clients selling bras before fire with a conversion rate a certain percentage, but then using short fade on the live stream, we double the conversion rate. So what does it mean if we double the conversion rate? When we double the website conversion rate means we cut the cost of acquisition by half, which means we double the LTV to CAC, which means the company that used to be unprofitable now is profitable now, right? So this is actually something that, you know, I really encourage more and more D2C brands. They all see the needs to. And also D2C brands, they're the one that used to do a tons of short videos on social medias, right? Because they're smaller, they're more nimble, and they do have story to tell. Because if you don't have story to tell, Amazon is the home, right? Because Amazon, if you sell standardized product, you're just purely competing on price. That's where Amazon does. The reason why everybody set their own website is you have story to tell. Right. But again, image cannot tell the story. You need short video, you need live stream to tell story. That's why you see all of those digital native brands. They are the first one to embrace social media. Fantastic. But here's the challenge. Now acquisition costs are extremely expensive. And also there is no conversion on social media. Right. Because social media we talk about, there's no shopping intent. Right. That's no, why why not? Yeah. I, I, I very, I mean, it goes back to I think that social media is, first of all, I think it's web two, right? Which we're moving into web three. So I I feel like, you know, the the, tr- the more traditional social media, you know, company that recently changed their name, that that is kind of looking backwards, not looking forwards. And that's just not how, I mean, we, we haven't seen it. It might be a source of inspiration or idea generation, but we're not seeing it actually drive conversion. And and I think it goes back to, right, the the authentic aspect of it. And, and, going, and you want to be on the retailer's own site. I feel like they're, you know, maybe over time, and I don't, I mean, Vincent, you and I both, you know, having spent a lot of time with with Ollie and GD and and other platforms in, in China, right? It's because we didn't have these kind of native websites. I mean, it's just a completely different ecosystem. I mean, if we look at the ecosystem we have here, you know, we're we're not really seeing a, you know, what I would have thought honestly take place, which is having kind of <clears throat> a single destination to go to view, right? These very engaging opportunities to purchase. Instead, it's probably better for retail and probably healthier for the for our retail industry, which is that the the brands are owning it, the, the retailers are owning it, CPG, right? I mean, you know, Vincent, I have to say, right? I I think I watching my first Albertsons live stream and I was like, this isn't, I mean, that's how I started off my career in covering groceries and analysts. And I was like, if you had told me I'd one day be watching somebody like, you know, <laughs> hawk bananas, I yes. would tell you you were nuts and look at where we are. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Look at Fresh Market, right? If everybody didn't see that, just go to freshmarket.com. They're another group. They're a grocery retailer. Believe it or not, they're adopting short video on a live stream much faster than fashioned and direct to consumer, which we thought is, is you know, the way to go, right? 
But again, look at CPGs. They can do very well with live chat and transform their entire user experience. I remember Fresh Market also sent daily emails using short videos inside of the emails. They're having their email user watching 200 hours of short videos on a daily basis. There's one day they forgot to send emails. And then they told me their users starting to send email to their CEO to say, where's your short video emails? I'm looking for that. <laughs> right? That's very so, cool. Yeah, they send, that- um, every day they send food recipe videos. This is also something very interesting. I was just talking to a, a, a retail uh, president. What, what he was resonating with that is, he's like, look, you know, we are very used to sell by product. Right. We should sell by content. This is another very big thing. Why short video lighting work? Right. Before that, all the email is by coupons. It's just, hey, buy this. It's $2 off. Right. There's no education. There's no information. There's no inspiration. But now what they should be doing is, hey, here's a very nice short video talking about how a gluten-free smoothie was made. It's shoppable. There are seven ingredients you can click and buy right now it's by watching this video, it's by watching the live streams. It's an organic, authentic content, but that actually drives shopping way more than just purely sell by product. I am. Um, I want. I want to ask a question, but I promise uh, it will be at the end. But I'm going to go on a bit of a rant first. Um, that uh, no, this no, is one no, of the. No, don't let it happen. <laughs> and it's not. A, it's it's, it's not an episode of Retailistic without Andrew <laughs> ranting about something. Um, the. The um, uh, like this is one of the my biggest frustrations I guess with with the way that people have traditionally thought about the like using data to drive ideas and like what we've traditionally thought is coupons work so we must go with coupons. Well, guess what? The coupon wasn't the thing that worked. FOMO was the thing that worked. But FOMO can be driven by so many different ways. And like, and that example that you just gave there, Vincent, was a beautiful one, which is this new recipe, this chance of trying something new, this you know. But if I miss it today, I don't know what, you know, I've got, this has become part of my habits. You know, I, I, I don't want to miss out on my daily new recipe that I want to try with my family or this new thing that I want to talk about at book club. Like FOMO can be generated in so many different ways. It's the, it's the emotional human reaction that's coming from something, some content that's, you know, traditionally we've just gone, well, crap, coupon, coupons work. So let's just keep throwing coupons out there and hopefully it will keep driving it up. Whereas there's smarter ways to generate that same emotional attachment and desire to try something new, to discover, to learn, to, you know, and, and to not miss out. Um, so, like, I, I want to hear more about that kind of stuff from you. Like, what, what are brands using this kind of style of content for to generate either discussion or, and even driving it further too, by the way, if we look at different aspects of challenges facing retail right now, of course, like you guys, Deborah, you and the team did a beautiful job in the last week or so publishing some data about return rates. And like the the power and the cost of return rates, like my assumption, my hypothesis is that if I'm seeing things in a real life, authentic context, I'm more likely to buy something that's actually real for me. I get a real version of it as opposed to a fake white box photographed version. And therefore, I'm less likely to return it because it's more likely to meet my expectations. How else are brands utilizing live streaming to generate better outcomes in lots of different ways? So, um, there are a few other interesting ways. I want to show some examples. So um, there's a brand called Pacific Beauty. It's a beauty retailers. Uh, what they're using live stream, again, everybody feel free to visit their website. You can see right away. And it's all powered by firework, how they use it. Uh, what, what they're using it is more about having uh, influencers and their brand ambassador to authentically talk about the products instead of just on their own social, but directly on a website. That helps a lot, right? And then um, there are some other companies like Rhino Cosmetics and other, They some of which starting to have their customers to actually record videos, right? You remember how Amazon oh, was doing that's interesting. Oh, I don't, oh, Vincent, you always have a little nugget. I, I, need, I, 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 want, to, yeah. I want to hear I, more I, about I, this. Every time I have to bring something in, Deborah, <laughs> otherwise, you know. I'm not going to lie, Vincent. <laughs> I actually have on my list of questions in front of me is, what about the bolt? And I actually raised this with Drew and you've got it on camera so I can use that as evidence. I actually raised <laughs> this with Drew. It's like, what about the risky, but like scary, but possibly incredible return of having your customers on camera? I'd love to hear more oh, about this. Yeah, yeah. I'll can so scratch that have, one off the question list. We actually have more and more um, direct-to-consumer brands, in particular, the digital native directive, because they are, they live in digital. They understand this, right? But, you know, I have to say a big caveat is this is not for everyone. If you ask today, like Gucci, Chanel, they're not, they're never going to do that, right? They still rely on really high design, super high production grades, right? Have a top, top celebrity to do that. But what I would say is 90% of the digital native brand, 
who bond with customers actually can use their customer voice to showcase that. Would they? And, can I can I can I ask a question I, yeah, before I lose the thread? Would they record that live, or would they record that and then kind of play it later? You know. Yeah. Like, so they're doing it two ways. What I've observed: one is um, they will ask their customer to upload short videos. Because right, we also do short videos, and they will take a look. Because the, the video cannot be too bad, right? So, the, but but most of the customer is very willing to participate. Some of the brands will incentivize them. This is something what Amazon does. Hey, if you upload a good videos, etc., right, we're gonna give give you another free months of subscription or something. So the customer is willing to participate. So that's kind of first. In the live streams, we have a feature called multi-host. So then what they're doing is. Right when the brand is talking about a product, they will actually, you know, it's the same thing how we do Zoom, right? Allow some of the customer to speak in front of the um, um, the live stream as well. So these are the two ways. One is pre-recorded, one is live. Hmm, that's very interesting, and that that just like opens up so much. So can I, can I ask? A, I'm fascinated by this topic because it's something I've thought about. Just. What about in store, right? Because there, there is a bit of fascination what we've seen, right? Where we're starting to see some of the sales associates, as Andrew mentioned, right? They're recording from their stores, and right, the customers are asking questions. And I do think sometimes, right, as we're still seeing, yes, this industry yes. is still very small in the U.S. Shockingly, I mean, I think you know, I, I personally thought this would be the the tipping point year, and you know, maybe that is kind of been pushed out to twenty twenty three. As we start to see consolidation from, you know, kind of honestly, a, a lot of the the technology providers and and solutions providers as well, because I do think it's still very confusing. But staying focused, the you know, with the consumers in the store sometimes, and I've watched it, right? And you're like, this would be so great to have this captured, right? And so you have a sales associate who is streaming. They are then actually kind of through the stream talking to the customers in the store. But if they could then somehow be a part of that would be even more interesting to show kind of yeah. how you bridge the online and offline. Yes, yes. I think online to offline itself is a whole big topic. So we have a few very interesting things on it. But Deborah, what you said is is a very uh, practical one that all the retailer can adopt. Right? Have sales associate interview with dear customers, right? And then to have them talk about why they buy the product, testimonial, etc. Because this is very real. It's authentic. We don't need to script it. Right. Of course, you don't put those videos onto the homepage, et cetera, but you can put in dedicated landing page. You can put into PDP product description page. There are many ways how you can weave in the videos in different ways. I think a lot of time people mistakenly think, oh, my homepage is very well designed it's for branding purposes. I don't want to put user generated stuff on a the homepage. Then homepage, you don't need to put those on homepage. You can create a dedicated user voice sections, right? And you can drive traffic towards it. Right. So, and also, it can pair up very well with specific PDP pages. So, Andrew, what do you make of all this? I mean, I'm, you know, I'm Andrew and I work together on many advisory projects, and you know, we're, we're kind of one of us ends, the other begins. And and how we really, really, just you know, Vincent, how we came together was over our shared passion for sustainability and really trying to make a difference. And you know, of course, we 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 joined forces with another friend of ours, uh, Jody from Intel, who also right. We just we, we're very much of the the same mindset. And we've really been trying to make a difference. And 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 I have to say, Andrew, I don't know as, as you think about this, but you know, live streaming is by definition more sustainable because the consumer knows the product they buy, right? Return rates are down about 50%. I think that they also love the product a bit more, so they take better care of it, right? It has a longer life expectancy. As you think about kind of, you know, our our foundation, how does live streaming actually change how you think about the world? Uh, I mean, a great question. I think I, I'm going to start by kind of referring to something you mentioned earlier around you know why it hasn't been this kind of explosion year here in the US. I think exiting pandemic people's attentions for digital assets has probably gone down because we've been exiting and wanting to do things that isn't a Zoom call for work. And that will absolutely be, be impacting people's pickup of stuff like this. In saying that, the, you know, the, the, the opposite trend to that is happening with younger people who are still, you know, increasingly obsessed with TikTok videos. So I think it will happen. I have no doubt this is the kind of explosion is going to happen as people's attentions, you know, start to normalize a little bit as we've kind of exited something into whatever, whatever normal, normal is nowadays. But yeah, I don't like I'm I'm more interested in like what 
live streaming can do, like there's an emotional biological reaction, which is if I'm kind of communicating with someone who I've now got an attachment to and I've bought from that person, it's almost like getting something from a friend. I'm going to be more attached to it emotionally, clearly. So, therefore, I am going to love it more, advocate for it more, and probably be less likely to have any doubts, any kind of buyer's remorse. Like, just, just that's just, you know, the way we're programmed to go. So, I'm really interested to see as, as this becomes more mainstream. The, the disadvantage we've got is, especially here in the US, because its take-up is it's big, but it's not huge. You know, we're going to continue to collect data and learn the different way people use it, the different way customers react to it. And then, of course, the shiny part of it, everything that's new is shiny and bright and exciting. You know, eventually, as we kind of get used to it, that normalizes and we start seeing the real behaviors that hum- like that we, we as humans are going to want to attach to it. So, it's going to be really interesting to see how that evolves. But like to your to the core of your question, though, I really, really adore and think it's great the idea of kind of understanding more of what I'm about to buy in the real world context that I've never been able to have in a digital platform. You know, historically, we see that come to fruition with people browse for what they, you know, the new pair of shoes they want to get or the new shirt or blouse or blouse or, or, or sweater that they want to buy. But then I kind of worry about how it will look. So, I go into a store. I can see it in a much more kind of like normalized way, in a way that I can comprehend. It's not abstract. I don't have to make it up. And I think that is going to reduce returns. It's going to reduce trips to stores. It's going to reduce the need for logistics to go to, to store sites, which is just this monstrous benefit to the environment that I think will be really interesting to see it play out. And I hope it plays out that way. As long as it we continue to utilize it in the way that it's currently being utilized, I can see it having a pretty significant sustainability impact. Vincent, can I ask you a question along those lines? So if, if I think about on the grocery front where it does make sense to me, right? Average customer goes to the grocery store 2.1 times per week, spends 45 minutes per visit, and right, this is a place where they're, you know, they're they're going to X, Y, and Z, and you know, they, they go by the grocery store. It's it's top of mind. What as we start to think about just sustainability, and I'm, I'm sure you're aware of these numbers, but you know, approximately one third of food um, that's grown ends up in landfill. Now, it can be that it's it's you know, D and D damaged and destroyed on the way to its ultimate selling point. Also, some of it is that it expires before it's you know, time to sell it, and so. If there was a way, as is, is, is we're kind of this is this is like usually the best part of like our cast because we we start to really think about right who are who we're talking to. Is there a way, right? And you you guys have done such an amazing job in, in grocery and and consumables, right? Which do have a, a, a much shorter lifespan than anything in in apparel, fashion, footwear, or jewelry. Is there a way, right? You know, not necessarily to say it, hey, right? You know, all this lettuce we've got one, like one day left, but. How do you think about, and I'm sure you have, how do you start to think about on the food side, the sustainability angle and minimizing waste and, you know, driving sales or, hey, if it's like, you know, if you, know, if you buy your groceries today, we'll give you five free heads of lettuce. Don't need to tell you that they're expiring tomorrow. <laughs> that, but but how, do you, how do you think about that? I think it all adds up to education and information, right? Because most of the grocery shoppers, they're not well informed, right? And the, for example, you know, every human being only needs uh, 20 grams of proteins. You actually don't need more than that, right? Many, many food you eat is actually end up going to waste it, right? So I think we have some clients, you know, Fiverr has an offline uh, products, which is, you know, all the video you create, you can tag it using QR code to the physical products, right? So this actually allowed the user to be a little bit well informed about the nutrition value of the grocery food, about the way how you can use that. And also on the website itself, right, a lot is about content, about whether it's the food recipe content, whether it's about the uh, use case content to really educate people. I think, you know, in the end of the day, it's a tough thing because the merchant, the retailer's interest is to drive sales, right? Their interest is encourage consumer to buy more regardless of whether the product they wanted or not. That's why they are really used to bundle everything. Buy one, I'll give you five other products for free. It's very hard because shareholder value is the one that they have to maximize on, not the you know, the sustain, sustainability value. There are brands who care about these right now, right? But I think you know, we can definitely help out in using short video live stream. But I think in the end of the day is 
what is the commission for the entire enterprises. If they are all birds, if they are some company like that who do care about this, they wrote that into their even board missions. That's fantastic. But I think Deborah, a lot of challenge is on the leadership team. Is you know, it's 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 a much higher higher level of question beyond what we are discussing about. Oh, I, I think the, 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 I agree there. with you. The only pushback I give you is that I think I'd pull you back to your previous comment about lifetime value. I think the idea of generating some better outcomes beyond you know the sale and the the you know the uh, the extra margin you get from a bogo offer or or whatever, um, you know, I think can I think is going to increase market force pressure on the reason why brands need to get into stuff like this. But, you know, I, I must admit, I did find it really hard to walk past your 20 grams of protein comment because I'm trying to work out how small my steak has to be now. And I don't like that at all. Um, uh, but the, 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 um, that I'm I've, one thing that I've always had this kind of love hate relationship with are these pre prepared meal kits like the home chefs the the green chefs all of those kinds of you know things that exist out there right now versus supermarkets who are now grocery who's trying to enter that market. Um, live streaming is something that I haven't seen in that space. I might be missing something, but the idea of like, for the biggest kind of objective, the biggest you know uh, force that's holding consumers back from trying stuff like that is effort. The perception of effort, you know, of having to choose which meals, how difficult are they really? I don't like cooking that much or I'm not that good. There's you know is there a huge opportunity with, would, is live streaming not a great opportunity to talk about that? I've cut, I've suddenly imagined my local grocery store having a a live stream every day called wasted. And it talks about how I can utilize leftover food supplies from the, you know, the recipe I bought yesterday and turn it into something that's an incredible meal. And I, I think that's spot on. That's the reason why Alberts and Safeways and the fresh market are adopting this even faster than the fashion retailer, right? And exactly what they're doing is they want to encourage people to make those foods at home. Food is a huge sector, but you cannot just sell the food ingredients. Right. And, you know, you show me all the food ingredients, doesn't do me anything. But if you can show me how do I make maybe a very nice salmon um, dish my at home with less than two minutes, showing me a video like that. Right. And then I'm going to watch. And then you show me here's all the ingredients you can purchase and pick them in the store. That would make a lot more sense. I'm in for the two minutes. That's that's good. Like every day of the week. And I think. I mean, Vincent, if you start to think about it, you could almost like create a movement around, you know, utilizing leftovers and driving intelligence as you're educating consumers. And, you know, you talk about the recipes. I mean, I I think that is a way to drive not only, you know, and it could even be like the butcher and the, you know, kind of just throughout, you know, as you're buying product at the store to drive awareness of, of what it is you're buying and how you can use it. And so then anytime I start to think about eating, which of course is like, you know, well, depends if I guess you're intermittent fasting or not. But for me, it's like 20 out of 24 hours a day is, you know, where do I get the content? And and also, right, I mean, I you know, we, we go back in time and there's still the debate over white rice and brown rice. I mean, uh. if we haven't figured out that very <laughs> basic like concept, yeah. you know, but having a place for the consumer, right, where they can get content, they they really trust the source. And going back to that 20 grams of protein, I mean, I, I think that there's there's a lot to be said here. And, you know, one thing I think we need to to kind of conclude with is about community. And and Vincent, you've talked about this a long time, how live stream drives community. You know, how how do you think about kind of where we are and and where we can go? If we just look at 2022, where is you know the consumer and where is the retailer? Yes, I think community is so important. No, um, if you look at Web 2.0, the social days, right? It's a community feeling. But now we talk about Web 3.0, which is decentralized open web days again, right? But here's one thing. The one thing that carried on from the Web 2.0 is the interactions that the consumer doesn't want to just visit a website as read only, right? I want to participate. I want to chat. I don't just want to, what, what we find is about, I think, Debbie, you find it all the time as well. During a live stream, a third of the element is user chattings, right? But they're not chatting with the host. They're chatting with each other, right? When, you know, the fresh market doing live stream, people say, oh, you, you like that? Well, I like that too. What, what are you using this food for, right? They're really chatting with each other, have like their side discussion right now because people relatively feel isolated at home. So when you have those kind of community feelings and retailer by nature is local-based, they should have a community feeling. If you look at Starbucks, it's all about a community, but it 
previously only existed physically offline. But live stream is a fantastic way you bring it online. But then the retailer said, well, what does that mean to our financial status? Right? How does community translate to our revenues? What if, of course, can? Because community can increase repeat purchases, can get people to come back. Physical offline, people visit, go to stuff 2.1 times a week, right? Online right now, people only visit a website once every month. But when you have a community feeling, I might come back once every week. You 4x the user engagement. There's a higher chance you can 4x the top line commerce revenues. So community, if we do it well, do it right, can really drive the overall financial health of a retailer. I think we should leave it Amazing. at that. That's so good. Vincent, 100%. thank you that was beautiful. so much. This was like, we, we've got to do this more regularly because I think that this this sector is changing so rapidly and I feel there's not only misinformation, but a bit of an information void. And especially as we think about holiday this year and retailers looking to engage in new ways. And with gas prices, I mean, literally the highest price we've ever seen in our lifetime and you know, could could continue to kind of tick upwards. I do think that consumers are going to look to engage with retailers and brands in new ways. And so much of that will, I think, move, you know, kind of, and what we've seen in the past, right, with gas prices, but that was not at this level, you lose about a trip, right? So if the average consumer goes to the mall four times a year, four to six times, you know, they'll go three to five. That's a pretty big deal when you start to think about it. But if you can start to move that, you know, into a community that's more engaged and engaged often, I, I think it's it's a win. Andrew, what's your, you always have a fascinating kind of conclusion. So what what are your thoughts here? <laughs> well, I'm not going to lie. A second ago, I'm just like, man, who's only going to the mall four or five times a year? Clearly, I have a shopping problem. No, I I, I think this has been incredible. And <laughs> Andrew, I think that that's community no, point That's just the, one of many problems, but we, we'll leave yeah. that. A, yeah, that's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a different podcast and we definitely need someone more qualified. Um, <laughs> No, I think that that community point at the end was the thing that really kind of got my the hairs on the back of my neck standing up. I think, as, and especially as we do lead into this this holiday period of you know, there's going to be different again um, because we don't know what we're leaning into. We're learning all of this stuff, but I just think that element of where you know we are. You, everyone hears me say this too much, Vincent. It might be the first time for you though, but you know, humans are a pack animal. Like we want to engage and we want to create this community feel, and any technological enabler that will create that feeling is going to be a natural thing that we're attracted to. And I think for a brand, why wouldn't I want to jump on that? Why would I not want to utilize that and maximize what I can do in terms of building engagement with my audience? I think that was just a beautiful way to end it. Thank you, Vincent. And again, congratulations on everything that's your, the success that you're having. It's just, it's amazing to watch. And, uh, and thanks for letting me have my first live stream on your platform a couple of weeks oh. back. Thank you. Thank you, Andrew. And thank you, Deborah, for having me. It's always a great, um, every time that you inspire me a lot, we have a lot to do afterward. I, I have to say, as much as I feel like I know about the sector, I, I always learn from you. And I think that, you know, what, what Firework is doing in terms of having like this very strong message and voice, I think it's absolutely critical as we look to lay the foundation, right, for the year ahead. So maybe we don't see this tipping point in 22, but in 23, all the foundation is laid and, and really laid by firework and it's it's across the spectrum of retail, which I think is so great. So with that, let's wrap up this edition of Retailistic. We had Vincent from Firework, we had Andrew from Think Uncommon, and Deborah Weinzer from Coursite, and really kind of tackling all things live streaming, future, metaverse, you know, how we're paying and how we're doing everything. And what does the macro environment really mean for us? So please like or subscribe on your podcast channel of choice, and we'll see you next week. Thanks so much.